Matthew 13 says this, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160, 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. We'll skip to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word because it's unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. Uh, we're excited to be uh, back with you. Last week, Liz, uh, my wife and I, my family, we got to go to Colorado to see my parents who live out there. Uh, we got to be part of their like, little small church and um, in the snow. That was kind of fun. But, um, but we just we missed you guys. We had this moment where we're like, oh, we miss... We miss River Way. We're, we're missing this gathering on the New Year's. And so we're just excited to be, to be back, excited to be with family. I'm excited to see your faces and just to dive into Scripture today. Uh, my name is Brandon. If we haven't met, um, we're, we're going to continue in our teaching through the parables called Imagine the Kingdom. Um, we're spending the next couple months uh, through the parables of Jesus, exploring what Jesus is saying in them. Um, last week, Nick talked about what parables were and what their purpose is. Jesus' parables are a fictitious saying of a picturing a truth. Um, my favorite like, way of kind of grabbing this is something that Eugene Peterson calls telling it slant. Telling it slant. And it's a phrase that he actually borrows from a line of Emily Dickinson's poem where she says, we tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Peterson says, telling the truth slant because we wouldn't get it if it told us to us plainly. He lets the truth, Jesus lets the truth come to us in an odd and seemingly obscure way in order to gain entry into us, in order to penetrate our hearts and minds with the things he hopes for us to see, to imagine the kingdom. And so it is with the parables of Jesus. They are familiar images, familiar things we're aware of, but it introduces us to the unfamiliar, the working of God's kingdom among us. Jesus is speaking in this way to stimulate our imagination, 
about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is wherever the kingship of Jesus, the rule of Jesus becomes manifest among us. And in that, it reorients our entire life to what King Jesus wants here and now, like I said, in our midst. And so through the parables, Jesus isn't just trying to get us to um, just to know something intellectually, cognitively, but he is trying to get it into us to be active citizens of the kingdom of God over the course of our entire lives. Let's dive in. Before we do, can we pray? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, may our ears be open to you. May our hearts be um, eager and attentive to your word this morning. May we hear your word as we read and we study the scriptures. May we hear your word as we reflect together on the gospel. So Holy Spirit, come. Um, Make us aware of you again. In your name we pray. Amen. There was a crowd of young college students seated on the grass in a park one day. They caught up and they chatted about their classes and what they were going to do that evening when all of a sudden their attention became fixed on a large tree squirrel with its huge bushy tail playing around the base of a nearby tree. Sometimes that squirrel was on the ground and sometimes it was up and down the trunk of that tree. Um, and it was, it was just like one of many other squirrels in the park where these college kids sat. But this one, this one in particular grabbed their attention. Um, because coiled on the grass nearby was a terrier dog off-leash. This was the object of the student's interest, and the squirrel was the object of his. Each time the squirrel was momentarily out of sight, like circling the tree, the terrier would quietly creep forward a few inches and then resume his posture of waiting. This was what held the student's interest for a while. Silent and immobile, their eyes were fixed on the event and the outcome that was becoming increasingly obvious. Finally, the terrier was close enough to pounce on the squirrel and catch it in its mouth. A grasp of horror arose among the students, and they surged forward and they wrestled the animal away from the dog, but it was too late. The squirrel died. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. (laughs) What's your response to that? Um, Is the story I'm telling about actually about college students and squirrels? If it's more than that, what is it? What am I on about? Someone's like, yeah, I think you know. Today we're looking at the parable called the parable of the sower. And although my parable about college kids and a squirrel, it's like kid art compared to Jesus' parables, there's something similar to that just took place. As the disciples heard Jesus, we just read as he got in a boat, they heard Jesus tell this story. Um, if you've been at church in any length of time, or if you've read the scriptures, if you've read the story, the, the problem is in some ways we already know the punchline. We already know that Jesus is going to explain this parable. But like hearing my parable about the squirrel, You don't know what the subject is yet. You might think about it, but you don't really know what I'm talking about. Like, I have something specific in mind. I'm not telling you either, by the way. But 
Jesus, like, he, he says this parable. He, the people don't know the subject, and he, just, he starts just telling a story. And so I want us, if we can, and I, it's, it's almost near impossible, if we can, just to listen with fresh ears. Like, imagine, like, disciples, they heard this for the first time. And so I'm going to read this verse again. Verse 13 will be up on the screen, if you don't have your Bible, that says this. The same day, um, that'll be important in a moment, the same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by a lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got in a boat and he sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So Jesus comes out of a house. He sits down and he teaches. That's the posture of a rabbi. He is ready to teach. And that crowd gets too big for him. So he goes on the boat offshore, almost creating like an amphitheater, if you will, to communicate to the people. And he teaches from there. And his first line in this part is not blessed are those who mourn. Or, or That's not his first line here. It's this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And just like the squirrel story I told, we don't know what the subject is. He starts and he tells a story about the day-to-day -day life of everybody listening. Many of them are probably farmers. Maybe some of them did that this morning. They sowed seed. And now we've walked with Jesus for a while. Um, in Matthew, we have a long sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, where he's pretty clear, even though it's difficult teaching, about what it's like to live in the kingdom of God as citizens of the kingdom. But here, and up until now he's been clear, but here he begins to be a little obscure and a little hidden. Um, just some context in Matthew, you can maybe look at it later, but uh, the last couple stories in Matthew's gospel particular Jesus is constantly misunderstood. He's in the synagogue healing somebody on the Sabbath, and the leaders like, are, are angry at him. John the Baptist, his cousin, comes to him and says, are you the one or should we expect another? He heals a man from a demon possession, and he gets called. The reason you're healing him is because you are, in fact, doing that by the power of the devil. Jesus is constantly getting misunderstood. One author I read this morning wonders if Jesus just kind of plays along with it. Well, I'm already being misunderstood. Now I'm going to start teaching in parables. So here's what he says, verse 3. A farmer went out to sow a seed. Here's a story. And he scattered the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on the good soil, which produced a crop. hundred and sixty, thirty times was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What is he doing here? What's he on about? First, this parable, just some more context before we dive into the meaning of it. This parable is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Mark and Luke. Um, synop synoptic, that's really hard to say this morning. Synoptic gospels um, it means seen together. They're very similar. They have similar stories, similar flows, different audiences, different stories, but they have similarities. And all three of those gospels have this parable as the start of Jesus' teaching. Any careful reader of the scripture should, like, should have a flag go up. Anytime across the board, you see the same story in each gospel. Something important is happening here. 
All three Gospels have this flow. It starts with the parable itself. Then the disciples ask the question, like, what are you, what are you saying? Why are you teaching in parables? What is the meaning of this parable? And then all three accounts, Jesus tells them the interpretation of it. He does not do that with a lot of the parables. But this one, he gives us the interpretation. And all the accounts, the disciples have no idea what Jesus is meaning here, and they come to ask him. And it could be tempting for us to again think that the disciples are just dense, like they don't get it. But in the same way that the parable I shared at the beginning, they're, they're, what are you talking about, Jesus? We know you're teaching something important. What is it? Jesus ends all three accounts again with his interpretation. And in Mark's version, I love this, and this is for us as we step into like learning about the parables. In Mark's version, Jesus says this, don't you understand this parable? He's talking about the sower. How then, Jesus says, will you understand any parable? Jesus sees this parable that he's about to give and his interpretation as a way of understanding the rest of the parables. It's why it's at the beginning of each one in the Gospels. And so this morning, I just want to focus on the characters in the parable. Usually parables have characters. And so we're going to focus on three. Um, Next slide, if you want to put that up there. Um, We're going to look at these three things. One, the condition of the soil, the capacity of the seed that is sown, and the character, meaning the, like the quality, who, who this sower is, the character of the sower. So first, the condition of the sower. I want to look at the characters of this parable. Next slide. Um, in all four soils, the same farmer is sowing, the same seed is sown, but the results of the sowing are not dependent on the quality of the farmer or the quality of the seed, but on the condition in which that seed is sown and received from each of the soils. This parable, like Nick talked about last week, is ultimately about how we hear. It's about how we hear the message, the word of God by Jesus. And don't think just hearing like, oh, I listen, I can hear it, but more like Deuteronomy 6, Israel would say every day, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's this action hearing. It's, it's understanding and hearing enough to where our, our actions react because of it. We live in that way. This is about how we hear. So let's look at each of the soils. And what I want to do is look at a soil. And then Jesus, in all three Gospels, explains what that is. He interprets it. And so I want to read each one um, as we do that. So first, the path. Next slide. We'll do the path. This is the one. Um, this is Jesus' interpretations from Luke, Mark, and Matthew. In Luke, Jesus says this is what the path is. It's the one who hears, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may may not believe and be saved. In Mark, he says this, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And in Matthew, which we're in today, it says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The first soil is this picture of a path. It's like, um, imagine the edge of the field. The edge of the field where the farmer sown, that field, it's been trotted over. It's been traveled on. It's been compacted down by many travelers. That ground is compacted and that seed is sown in the field. And the seed that makes it onto the path or is sown on the path, it says, it can't, it can't penetrate that compacted soil. It's easy picking for the birds. They simply swoop down, they grab the exposed seed, and it just lays on that hardened soil. 
This is a picture of a hardened heart. Hardened life. One that hears the message about the kingdom but can't or won't receive the message. There are people whose hearts have become compacted. They hear but not perceive and eventually become hard of hearing. And Jesus says the Satan, the accuser, comes and can just easily pick the seed that could have been planted. A lot of things can harden the heart. Just with each of these, I want want to have a gospel story in here. In Mark's gospel, just a few verses before uh, Jesus gives this parable of the sower in Mark's gospel, Jesus is in the synagogue on Sabbath, and a man with a withered hand is there as well. And it says that everybody's kind of watching to see what Jesus is going to do on the Sabbath, seeing if he would break the law of Moses as some thought he was doing. And so Jesus has the man with the withered hand stand up in front of everybody, and he says this, what's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save or to take a life or to kill. And the story is everybody just remains silent. And in Mark's gospel, he says, Jesus looked around in anger and was deeply distressed. Can you just imagine Jesus in that moment? Just, he's angry at this, deeply distressed. The ESV translation says he was angry, deeply grieved at what? The hardness of their heart. Jesus in the story has the man stretch his hand out, is healed, and the Pharisees start collaborating with the Herodians to see how they can destroy Jesus. It's that picture of that hardened heart, that path-like heart that's closed off to the king and his kingdom, and the accuser just simply snatches away that seed and the kingdom that could have been in their midst. The path, the rocky soil, let's look at Jesus' interpretation of that. In Luke, Jesus says this is what the rocky soil is. The one who receives the word with joy, and when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. Like seeds sown, and Mark, he says this, like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And in Matthew, what we read today says this, the seed falling on that rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they only last for a short time. And when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This soil's full of rocks. If you've ever um, dug in a ground that's full of rocks, you only get so far, right? You only get so far between it's difficult to get anything anything up because it's difficult to go deep in rocky soil. This soil lacks death. This growth, the seed grows at first, but in the end it it just peters out because it has no root. This is a shallow heart. Jesus explains that some people who hear the message are enthusiastic initially. They receive that message. It's almost sad. Like they receive it with joy. They receive it with passion but they fall away when the going gets tough because, Jesus says, of the message of the kingdom. These are the ones that are sometimes too ready to follow Jesus. Stanley Hauerwas makes the point that to be too ready to follow Jesus could mean possibly that we have misunderstood the kind of Messiah, the kind of Savior that Jesus is. Jesus ultimately is, a, is the crucified Savior. A Messiah like we don't always expect. Following Jesus is difficult and demanding. Yes, his yoke is easy. 
Yes, his burden is light, absolutely. But he asks us to first take up our cross and follow him to experience that new resurrection life that he gives. Following Jesus isn't a means to an end. It is, it's, it's the kingdom reality that he invites us into, the end itself, the king and his kingdom. Jesus' disciples experienced their moment of testing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, Jesus, if you remember the story, he's praying in the garden, and his disciples are just like, they're fading, they're falling asleep, they can't hang, and Jesus is like, guys, can't you just pray with me for a little bit? One of his own apostles comes to him with a crowd and a mob armed with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus. Judas kisses his rabbi, signaling to the mob that this is the one they're to arrest. If you remember the story, Peter pulls out a sword and just, I don't know what he's trying to do, but he gets an ear off, which I actually think is more difficult than actually stabbing somebody, but he manages to do that. Jesus stops this whole thing. He says, my kingdom isn't going to be like the kingdom of violent revolution that the Jewish people wanted and hoped for. Jesus in this says this in Matthew Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And Matthew ends this section with just this little um, sad line. It says this, Then all the disciples deserted and ran away. All the disciples deserted and ran away rocky soil, a shallow heart. It can't take the hardship that will come on the journey of following Jesus. Jesus tells us that trouble and persecution will come because of the word and the kingdom sown. Trouble like scorching sun withering us away. He also takes, tells us to take heart for I've overcome the world. But that doesn't negate the path of following Jesus and the journey that takes. Often a shallow heart could have rocks just full of bitterness within it. The life we thought we'd have following Jesus. How we thought this would go. Maybe just this is the disappointment in God that we carry. It's a shallow heart. Third is the thorny soil. The thorny soil of this, this is what Jesus says in Luke. Is those that hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. In Mark, he says this, it's thorny stories, those who hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things come in and choke the world, make word, making it unfruitful. In Matthew, it says this, someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This soil is already full of other plants. It's already full of other plants. The picture of this word thorns here, imagine like that thick hedge, if you've ever seen a hedge before, usually on the outside of a, of a, of a little farm that keeps things from coming in. It's thick, it's full of thorns, but when it overgrows, it just takes over everything. The seed is sown in the soil. It grows up like it's supposed to, but it's quickly overtaken by the dominant weed-like thorn bush that's already there. It's already in place. This is a crowded heart. The soil is a crowded heart. The seeds of the kingdom won't grow into maturity where there is competition. 
The kingdom of heaven doesn't tolerate rival kingdoms. Unless the seed is allowed free reign to spring up, its life is cut short, and we will not see the crop. Jesus uses three specific weeds here. I just want to look at them really quick. That overtakes that. One is the worries of life. The worries of life. There's not one person in here that can't go like, I know what that is. I, I know what worries of life are. I love that Jesus doesn't even give it like specific, specificity. Like he just, it's the worries of life that we have. Those sprout up daily. Life is full of these. Number two is the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth has a lie that comes with it. It loves to speak the lie. It means, man, if I can, if I can have that wealth, I can have more control. If I had more of that, I could actually rid myself of the worries of life potentially. Wealth lies to us and tells us that its goal is to give us the good life. It's always that lie. If I just had like $10,000 more in the bank, like then I'd be safe. Then I'd be secure. Then I can and then I can. The lie that it tells us is that it actually keeps us safe and protects us when in fact every possession, every investment, every business actually requires more and more of our attention and more of our holding onto it together. And what feels like freedom can now be like slavery. Money can be a cruel master that tells us that life is easy and that's the way of getting it. In Mark's parable, Jesus adds this, and the desires of other things, almost like etc. right? All the things in life we can imagine, he just doesn't leave it up to a few lists, but anything you can imagine that like a thorn bush just grows up and just overtakes the field. All three of Jesus' interpretations of the thorny soil use a quite violent word to describe their action. Did you notice that? In all three, it says this, that the thorns choke the seed. And I was sitting with that image this week. They crowded out so much that they, the pressure comes, that it becomes unfruitful. It actually exhausts the life that could have been. In Luke's gospel, he adds this, they do not mature to the potential of what it was supposed to be. A crowded heart just, just doesn't mature. Doesn't mature. And finally, if you're like, man, these soils are a bummer, we get to the good soil. We get to the good soil. This is what Jesus says in all of his interpretations of it. And Luke, he says this, good soil are those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. In Mark, he says this, they hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And in Matthew, what we read today, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to somebody who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. This is soil how it should be. It's well-tended soil. It's rid of rocks and weeds and ready to receive a seed and produce a crop. It's loose enough to retain a seed. It preserves that thing that happens with seeds in that waiting season where you bury it and you don't see what happens. You have no idea. If we didn't have modern technology in some ways, we'd be like, look at this. I buried it and it grew. Seed that is healthy, well-tilled, and after that waiting period, life springs forth. This is a healthy heart. A heart that's ready for the journey of growth. Jesus says it's a noble and good heart. It's like a beautiful 
what that word means. Noble, beautiful, healthy heart. And the story that came to mind for me was the story of the woman washing Jesus' feet. Um, If you read the story of the sower in Luke 8, in Luke 8, the story right before when Jesus gives this parable is this story. In Luke's gospel, the story right before Jesus telling the parable, there's a story of a woman who interrupts a dinner party at a Pharisee's house named Simon that Jesus has been invited to and is laying down eating. They're reclining at dinner eating when she comes into the courtroom, or the court, like the courtroom of the courtyard of the house. She interrupts this party. She stands behind Jesus. She's weeping. Her tears begin to wet Jesus' feet as she takes her hair and she wipes Jesus' feet and pours perfume on them. It's this scandalous picture of something happening then as it would be now, if it happened right here. Simon the Pharisee knows that this woman's a sinner and kind of surmises to himself that if Jesus is letting her do this to him, then he must not be a prophet for he must not know who she is. He tells a story about love being connected to how much we've been forgiven. And in short, Jesus forgives her in front of everyone. It's then in Luke that Jesus tells this parable. The woman washing Jesus' feet to me is a picture of good soil. Is it perfect? Is she perfect? No, but it's good soil. Why? It's one whose life, despite great brokenness, hears Jesus' words at some time and responds in faith to his kingdom. Recognize that Jesus is Messiah, anoints his feet, and she reaps a harvest a hundredfold. In fact, this is one of the rare stories in the Gospels where every Gospel shares this story. We're still talking about 2,000 years today. To wrap up the soils, the path, the rocky soil, crowded soil, the good soil, this is the soil in which the farmer sows his seed. Some see this as ultimately a state of those who are saved. This is about maybe eternal security. In the end, some would say that there's only two soils, really. One soil bears a crop. The others do not. And that's a, that, could be some, that could be an option here as we interpret the parable. I tend to think that the four soils are actually conditions of the heart in various seasons of our life. Sometimes the way we read the parables would suggest that we would better call this parable the parable of the soils, Right? It gets the most airtime. Jesus interprets that the most, but Jesus calls this the parable of the sower. He calls this the parable of the sower. And the questions we're usually asked to consider, and maybe you did as you were sitting there, is to ask this, like, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil am I? Am I the healthy soil? Am I the good soil? Am I this? And and that's okay. The introspection is welcome. But I would, I would guess that nobody in here today would be like, hey, Brandon, I'm actually the healthy soil, right? Like, I did it. We killed it. Let's move on. What are we, we going to learn? Like, I'm producing 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. I think if we were honest, we would all realize, oh, no, there's, there's a few rocks in here. We would all go, yeah, there's, there's some weeds in this part. Maybe some, like, the weeds have been overgrowing. Maybe some of them just become hard. Of course we would say that. We should stop and examine our apprenticeship to Jesus in faith. But I wonder if a more helpful question for us this morning would be this. What, just asking that, what kind of soil, what kind of soil is conductive and growing a good crop? What conditions are necessary for the seed that is sown to flourish? 
Liz and I were looking at our backyard um, springs about to come upon us, and so we're like, like we need to start getting our, our garden ready. Um, and we're newbies, and we're bad at it. And so, um, lot to learn, and YouTube is great. So, um, but we like, around our pool, we wanted to grow, grow these vines to kind of overtake, overtake just the wood, gross wood fence. We're like, that would look cool. And so, we bought some great vines. We planted them two years ago, and one did okay. Two are barely hanging on, and one's just brown and dead, you know? And we're just realizing, we're like, we, we bought the right plant, but as we're learning how to garden, we just haven't tended to the soil. Like, we just planted it, and we're like, do your thing. I gave you water. But we didn't, we didn't tend to the soil, and like, we were even yesterday looking, like, how do you compost? And we're trying to do all these things. But to tend to the soil, most of this parable, and this is interesting, most of this parable is taken up and describing its failure. The various reasons why Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God won't take root and bear fruit in people's lives. And so he defines the soil negatively by saying what it's not. Good soil, it's not hard. Good soil, it's not shallow. Good soil, it's not crowded. Or to put it another way, around the negatives and to the positives, good soil, it's open. Good soil is deep, and it allows for the seed to grow. What is the condition of the soil by the grace of God that God wants us to become? It's the dominant character in here, which is the soil, but I want to look at two other things. I want to look at the seed, and I want to look at the sower. Next slide. Um, The capacity of the seed. We looked at the character of the soil. I want to look at the capacity of the seed. Jesus interprets what this is. Next slide. It says this. The seed, Jesus says in Matthew, is the message about the kingdom. In Mark, he says it's the word. And in Luke, he says it's the word of God. Again, that seed's ability to receive is about how we hear the word, how we hear the message about the kingdom, how we hear the word of God. The context of this parable, again, like I said, is people completely missing what Jesus is doing. They're completely misrepresenting his Messiahship and what he, his mission of Messiah was. The disciples, the good soil, are those who not only receive Jesus' words, but listen, they receive Jesus himself. They receive Jesus himself. Disciples are those who follow their master in order to be with him, to become like him, and to do what Jesus does, to take a line from Dallas Willard. Christ is the seed. The primary meaning of the phrase, the word of God, in the New Testament and Christian theology has to be consistent with the Gospel of John where he says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who was with God in the beginning and in fact was God himself. The message about the kingdom in which Jesus' life, resurrection, ascension, where he becomes the king. For this Jesus and the kingdom is what's planted. That is the seed. For us, the most obvious point in the whole parable is that the fruitfulness of the word happens in the soil that does the least to interfere with it. I want to say that again. The fruitfulness of the soil that gets the seed, like that happens in the soil that does the least to get in a way. It's rid of rocks and weeds. The good soil hears the word, accepts the word, and lets the seed do what it does, produce a crop. In many ways, it's not that that soil did anything. It's that they don't do things to get in the Word's way. Does that make sense? I'll say it one time. In many ways, it's not that they do anything. Rather, it's they don't do things that get in the Word's way. 
the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and so on. It's the word and the word alone that does the rest. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that does the work in us. The whole purpose of the coming of the word is to produce a people who bear the fruit of the kingdom. But how does that happen? How do we allow the word of God, the seed, to actually root in us and to bear something fruitful? Just to end this part, a look at the word fruits in the New Testament provides a lot of wisdom into the posture it takes to let the word of God have its way in the soil of our lives. We could look at Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, we don't have time, but just for us this morning, Jesus calls himself, of course, the true vine in John 15. He characterizes himself as the true vine, his disciples, the branches that are attached to the vine again in John 15, and the point that he makes in that image, I think is really complementary to the sower, parable of the sower. Just as the branch on a vine is not able to bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so we cannot bear fruit unless we remain in Jesus. In other words, the response needed most is not necessarily to rid us of rocks and weeds, but it's to abide in Jesus and to allow God and through his Spirit that process of sanctification. It's the power of the word itself, the seed itself. This means in terms of the sower, the parable, it's not putting obstacles in the way of what God's already at work and trying to do in you. The seed is in you. The kingdom is in you. And Jesus is at work already. May we not get in the way of it. In our relationships with one another, maybe the relationships that are difficult, do we, strive, do we remain in Jesus in that? In times of grief, when we want to hide and cower, do we remain in Jesus? When opportunities come for more income or for promotions, are we remaining in Jesus? The seed is the word of God, the kingdom, and the king himself, Jesus. And lastly, the character of the sower. The last piece. What is not the, not the character, the purse, but like what is the sower like? Is he stingy? Is he skilled? Jesus in this parable doesn't explicitly say who that sower is. Uh, a parable, a few verses that we're going to look at at some point, which is the parable of the weeds. Uh, Jesus says in that parable that the farmer that sows the seed is the son of man. That's one of his favorite lines about himself that he gets from Daniel. But in this, we have, it just says, a farmer sows his seed. Like I told you before, and if you go to my house, you'll see we're not much of a gardener. But it strikes me, watching the sower sow, that um, it's probably not best just to sling like seed everywhere and not really caring where it goes. Just slinging it every direction. What we'd expect a responsible sower to do is to spend some time preparing the ground, putting in some fertilizer, digging it up, making it holes, dropping in seeds as it should be. But that's not what happens in this story. He picks up with great handfuls of seeds and he just seemingly tosses it in every direction without a care in the world where it lands. On a path, on rocky soil, on a thorn bush over there, and on the good soil that he has. Can you imagine if you were following tr a truck in one of just the fields in our city and that truck's bed was full of seeds opening and spilling all over the place as it swerves on the asphalt and then up a hilly rock berm and then through like, like the untamed land part, and then finally onto his field, you would flag the farmer down. You would say, what are you doing? And he would say, I know what I'm doing. And you'd be like, you're out of your mind. 
You're wasteful. It seems like you're wasteful. Jesus, the sower, goes out and he sows and he scatters the seed generously, almost wastefully, everywhere. On the road, among the rocks, among the thorns, the bad soil, and the rich soil. Again, no farmer would do this. God, it seems, doesn't ask that question, but simply just scatters the seed of the kingdom. He just scatters the seed of the kingdom. May we do as well. Over generously, without calculating whether it's a good investment or it's going to have a return. It seems that Jesus has an infinite number of seeds to scatter. And the parable starts and points us back to Jesus. And therefore, what is God like? Jesus is God in the flesh. What is God like? God invites us to the kingdom that's extravagantly generous. It points to a sower who's interested in all and who wants his kingdom to take root everywhere and who invites us to receive the seed. Receive the seed of the kingdom that the Father, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit sow, which is the kingdom of God. In pre-gathering prayer this morning, as we were praying for today, um, the word that just kept in mind for a couple was just trust. This invitation to trust again was thinking about that in prayer, just this invitation to receive God's provision, this invitation to receive God's care in the parts of our lives that feel rocky and feel overgrown and feel hard, is to receive that again, to trust. We have the witnesses of the disciples in their gospels. Jesus invites us today in the same way he invited his hearers while he was standing on a boat and, on a boat and a crowd amongst him. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It has been sown generously. It has been scattered around. How will you receive it? How will you receive Jesus? What if our lives, both individually and as a community and brothers and sisters, is that is like a seed buried and ready to bloom? We want to receive the kingdom. May you receive the kingdom of God in your midst. Rid of rock and weed so that the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, the King, like we can bear fruit in him. Before we take communion, I want to read a poem. Um, if you're uncomfortable, a third of your Bible is poetry. So, like, you got to get good at this. Um, but I wanted to show this up on the screen. This is Vincent Van Gogh's uh, Sower at Sunset, or Sunrise. I actually don't remember which one it is. Does anybody know? Okay. Pick one. It's Sunset. The sower, I'll just sunrise. Farmers get up early. Sower at sunrise. I find this picture captivating. Um, Someone looked at all week. Just the colors. Um, the birds that are hovering over. The farmer just trolling and throwing. Um, but this comes from Michael Geit. I think that's how you say his name. It's a poem I read this week um, in a book. And it just, it, it grabbed me. And I want to read it as we um, prepare to take communion. Um, even just the image of receiving the body. Receiving Christ's body, receiving the blood of the covenant, of the new covenant, of his blood, remembering the Lord's death until he comes, um, remembering Christ in us, the hope of glory, as we do this together. And so here's the poem. It's not up there, but just as you see the image, before we worship and we take communion, that's what it says. I love your simple story of the sower, with all its close attention to the soil. It's movement from knowledge to the knower. It takes on the tenacity of toil. I feel the fall of a seed a sower scatters, so equally available to all. 
Your story takes me straight to all that matters, yet understands the reason why I fall. Oh, deepen me where I am thin and shallow. Uproot me the, in me the thistle and the thorn. Keep me far, keep far from me the swiftly snatching shadow that seizes on your seed to mock and scorn. The last line is this. Oh, break me open, Jesus, set me free. Then find and keep your own good ground in me. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your patience with your disciples. Um, to sit them down um, and to say this is what it's about. Would you do the same in our midst? We come to listen um, to your word, Jesus. Um, not just like, not, just, not my message, but like your, um, your scripture, your word. Um, you, Jesus. Would you open up our ears to hear it again? God, would you till up the soil in our hearts again? Would you continue the work I'm going to just pray for us as a community that we would yield to the work that you want to do, Holy Spirit. So would you come as we worship, as we take communion, as we remember your covenant with us, Jesus, we come thankful. We come thankful. And with like a declaration that we will follow you, follow you again, that we want to be with you, Jesus. We love you and pray. Amen. Uh, you're dismissed to grab the elements.